podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the King and AI podcast. My name's Kelly Cates and you'll be listening to my dad, uh, Kenny Dalglish, on this podcast and getting his thoughts on football issues about Liverpool, but also about other things as well. And the reason the podcast has come about is because of our family's charity, the Marina Dalglish Appeal, which was set up to raise money to help cancer patients and their families. So if you'd like to support that, that would be fantastic. As much as it's about raising awareness, it is also about the financial support, if possible. If you want to donate, you can go to anfieldindex.com slash MDA, or you can go to the Marina Dalglish Appeal website to find out a little bit more about the charity and the work that they do. It's worth having a read about. It's a really great charity and it's something that's very close to all our hearts. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to another episode of the King and AI podcast here on Anfield Index Pro. Now, we had promised to try and make a point of bringing you this show on a monthly basis. So uh, figuring it's the bore fest of the international break, it seems like the ideal time to reflect on things without those pesky Liverpool matches getting in our way. And uh, we are, though, without one member of our starting lineup, uh, suffered a blow on the absence of uh, of a certain Mr. Paul Dalgleish, though we do have an excellent substitute lined up today. Uh, Paul is busy preparing for uh, a trip to Atlanta with his Miami FC side this weekend on the back of a, a remarkable four nil-nil draws in a row. So good luck to Paul and the guys over there. Uh, hopefully his boys can rediscover their goal score in touch. Without further ado, allow me to introduce to you the duo who will undoubtedly be basking in the glory of Liverpool taking maximum points from their eight league matches so far, but also offering a wry grin, no doubt, at the plate of some of our rivals. Uh, first up, it's the man who fits in watching as many Liverpool matches as he can around as many golfing and FIFA arcade game commitments. Yes, it's uh, Liverpool's legendary former player and manager, Sir Kenny Dalglish. How are you, sir? Very well, Edward. But I must correct you already, and we're only 30 <laughs> seconds into the show. <laughs> Paul's won 16 and drawn one of the last 17 games. See, so the, Mi- know, the Miami FC website, got. the Miami FC website needs a fix in because it's got four nil nil draws <laughs> in the last, uh, in the last four games. So, uh, I've done you a disservice there, Paul. So I know you'll be listening and I apologize for that. Thankfully, your, uh, your I old hope- man's on hand to fix the error. I hope you're going to record this and send it to him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I won't, I won't edit it out. So I'm pretty sure he'll, uh, I'm pretty sure Paul will uh, have a little chuckle to himself when, uh, when he realizes I've just been looking at the website and not phoning him to congratulate him on these draws. <laughs> well, and I, I don't think he would pull you up on it either. <laughs> Probably not. It's too humble for that. And next up in for Paul is uh, the first ever guest on the King and AI podcast. And it's a man who really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Almost certainly the conduit to uh, the way many of you get your first dibs on your uh, on your Reds breaking news. And remarkably, a man that joins the show without either increasing or decreasing the 102 international caps or the 501 Liverpool appearances between the three of us on the show. Yes, it's a familiar voice to listeners <laughs> of our Media Matters podcast on AI. Pro and a warm welcome to the Athletics Zone LFC reporter, Mr. James Pierce. Morning, Ed. How are you? I'm very well, James. Uh, I know you're having a little bit of a uh, of downtime uh, with the international break, but you, we were speaking off air before, and the Athletic do things slightly differently, don't they, during the uh, international break? And there's been no shortage of uh, of articles uh, coming out from you this week. Yeah, I think I think you know quite rightly the Athletics see it as a kind of a real time of opportunity. The international break when 
you know, I think especially Liverpool fans, probably not too much interest in the international fixtures. So a big opportunity to to crank up the, the club coverage and uh, and try and get it out there. So uh, yeah, it's um, you know, obviously no press conferences or matches to attend this week, but uh, yeah, still plenty going on and you know, building up to a, a massive game at Old Trafford next weekend. And uh, Gags mentioned to me as well at the top of the show there that it would be worth mentioning that you can sign up to the uh, Athletic through uh, through Anfield Index. That's uh, theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield Index. And uh, I think there's an opportunity to get a, a week free or something or a month free, I think it is, and a couple of uh, a, a, about a 50% discount on your annual subscription there. So, so do take note of that link. Uh, there's some really excellent content and we're going to discuss some of that today. Now, before we get the ball out, it is important to reiterate what Kelly Kate said at the top of the show there and remind all our listeners that the key objective of this podcast is to raise awareness and help with fundraising for the Marina Dalglish Appeal. Thanks to all our listeners who have made donations so far. And as we mentioned on the previous show, as a result of the collective donations to the appeal, there is now £1.25 million worth of equipment uh, for use in, in Liverpool's hospitals uh, fighting back against breast cancer. One of which has funded the latest Da Vinci sex robot at the Broad Green Hospital and uh, a new vacuum-assisted biopsy machine in the breast unit of the uh, Aintree Hospital. And it was uh, great to see Kenny and uh, Lady Marina on the new uh, on having a look at the new equipment, visiting the hospital, taking a look at the robot and uh, seeing firsthand the benefits it will offer to so many people. And please remember, you can help support the Marina Daraglish Appeal. It's very easy to do. Just head on over to anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA and pledge whatever you can, even if it's just a small amount using the monthly donation option to help boost the funds for this um, fantastic appeal. Now, you must have been thrilled to uh, visit the Broad Green Hospital, Kenny, not only to see the equipment, but also to meet the people who are very much on the front line of this battle against this dreadful disease yeah it was prostate uh the da vinci machines in there for and it was fantastic uh the the hospital were really thrilled with the equipment because it's quite innovative it's, there's only a couple in the uk and they've got one of them so it's transportable as well you can move it about for hospital to hospital if somebody was in the Royal, they could move it over there and they could operate on them using the robot. But there was a chap there as well who, like two weeks after the robot was put in and they'd been practising how to use it um, on dummies, I, I would say, no, no on real people. He, uh, The guy got operated on, and if it hadn't been that machine, he'd be pro- he probably wouldn't have been here now. So it just shows you how important and how grateful we are to the people uh, who have made any contribution whatsoever to the charity. Where the money goes is exactly where they would like it to go to help people. And that's a prime example of how much it helped this chap. And uh, it did actually save his life. So, yeah, it was thrilled. And it's, it's great if you can put something back in the people that have been so, so good for us in, in the years gone by. And James, you must have seen the work of the Marina Dalglish Appeal, certainly living locally in, in recent years. It must be something that, as a Liverpool supporter like myself, it, mu- it must make you very proud to see uh, Sakeni and Marina getting involved to this extent in such a in such a brave uh, brave campaign to try and raise money for this disease. Yeah, I, I think it's you know it's absolutely phenomenal um, what they've done for uh, for thousands and thousands of people. You know, uh, from across Merseyside, I had, I had the honour of being at. Um, at the at the ball uh, last year for the um, for the charity and, and you know and hearing more firsthand about what they do and and being part of what was a you know, an amazing night of kind of a, a celebration really of all the 
the work and met some absolutely inspirational people um, along the way. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, Kenny and, and Marino, have, you know, they, they've given back unbelievably, haven't they? You know, Kenny will always be, you know, coveted and honoured by Liverpool fans and cherish him for what he gave the club on the field and in the dugout. But, um, you know, their, you know, the legacy stems a long way beyond that with, um, you know, the, the difference they've made to so many people's lives. Well, her daughter, her, her daughter Lauren, she's taken over from her mother now. She's, uh, she's her boss when it comes to the charity and I suppose many other things as well. But <clears throat> she, she, she looks after it. So Marina and I chip in when we're asked to chip in or when we need to chip in. And it's, it's been a family affair, but it's no, it might be her name on it, but there's an awful lot of people, uh, who have made it the success that it has been. And the people who have benefited have been the ones that are that have been treated with the equipment that we've put in. So we'll still we'll push onwards and upwards, and uh, Lauren will find something that's going to be beneficial to patients. It might not be there, and we'll do our best to raise the funds for that as well. And with everybody's help, then I'm sure we'll be successful. Yeah, so as a reminder to donate to the charities anfieldindex.com forward slash MBA and just pledge whatever you can. It really is much appreciated. Now, we'll move on to the football and obviously it's a landmark week in some ways for the club uh, with it being four years since uh, since Jurgen Klopp took the reins. And uh, Kenny, as someone who has managed the club not once but twice yourself, other than that Champions League victory in Madrid, what would you say is the most impressive thing that Jurgen has achieved so far? I think the greatest achievement for Jurgen is the club's back and being run the way that it was run uh, in Shankly's time and immediately afterwards uh, when we were having all the success and people were were proud to be part of the club and the people in the club were proud to share that with the people that support the club and it was it really was uh, a community club and I think that's it lost its way for a wee while uh, on the street and on the terraces but I think it's come back and since Jurgen's come in it's been brilliant the way he's pulled everybody together got everybody together and it doesn't matter what your role is at Liverpool um, however small you might think it is it's equally important to him because he values them uh, as much as anybody else so he's made everybody feel important he's made everybody feel wanted and he's really pushed the club back to where it was. And I don't think it's a coincidence that because of that, the success on the pitch has been excellent as well. So I think that's his, that's his greatest achievement, getting the club back to be run the way that it was run many years ago. Kenny, had you, had you met Jürgen before he took over at Liverpool? No. <clears throat> no, I hadn't met him. Um, yeah, do, do you remember, do you remember the first time you met him? No, I remember when it was the day he was appointed. I was yeah. going up to, to open a, a charity place just at Celtic Park the day that he was appointed. And obviously the television cameras were there. And uh, I said in that day, I said, I think we should fasten our seatbelts. This is going to be a, bit, a roller coaster ride for us all. <laughs> we're, we're off and we're running. So... Fortunately, it's turned out to be like that. It's been successful as well. And I don't think we could have had a better guy in charge. 
Yeah, he just, he just seems the absolute perfect fit for the club, doesn't he? For yeah, in terms of the way in which you know, for, for, certainly from the dealings I've had with him, like one of the biggest things for me is the way, way in which he's galvanised all the supporters because you, you know yourself, Kenny, how powerful that support can be when you when you've got everyone fully fully united behind you. Well, there was a wee bit uh, <clears throat> a wee bit problem they thought we were going to have when the new stand opened. They thought it might take away the atmosphere at the ground. Yeah. But I remember the first game it opened. The new stand, the people in the stand started started the singing off. And it's just it's just grown from there. But I think it's you can feel it's not just because they're, they're undefeated this year, but during his his tenure there, you can you can feel the difference in the in the atmosphere with the people that come along there, you can feel that they want to be there and they appreciate that, uh, that they're, they're, the club are showing appreciation to them for being there. And if, I think more and more the people are starting to feel part of it and so they should be because they're a very important part of it. They're, they're there when the players have needed them on the pitch. So that, that the, the, the supporters can take uh, huge credit for that as well because when you know and they've not always played as well as they can. But when, when they need them, they've been there. And that helps you get over the line. Yeah. How important do you think the brand of football is as well? Because it, it, what what he's produced at Liverpool seems kind of perfectly in keeping as well with, with the club's traditions. Oh, I think uh, the way that he plays coming in in, in October wasn't uh, the best time to start for him because I think mm. he... Once the next year when they got the pre-season and they got his training um, up to speed, then the players could uh, could adopt the way that he wanted to play the high the high pressing game, the the high intensity of the game, um, and I think that's that's taken maybe a couple of pre-seasons to get up to speed with how he really wanted it. But even before that, I mean, there was a huge improvement before that as well so yeah. uh, he's, he's got it the way he wants it now he's worked very hard to get there and the players have gone along with him and I don't think there's anybody that, that's in the dressing room that doesn't want to be there you don't get many problems you don't get many players speaking out a turn and I think it's easy to do that probably when you're winning but even when it wasn't going as well there was still nobody spoke out a turn because they totally respect the man they totally respect the football club and it's him that's given everybody that that thought that you must respect people and appreciate people. And if you're no playing, then don't don't spit your dummy out. Just take it properly. You're no playing for a reason. And the reason is because there might be somebody better there that on the day that he thinks can win them a game. So I think it's uh, I think it's been fantastic what he's done. Yeah, I mean, obviously rec- recruitment has been key hasn't it to, to the progress that Liverpool have made I mean having money is one thing but spending it wisely is another and you know there's been a lot of shrewd deals hasn't it yeah and there's been uh, there's been a lot of money come in as well yeah when you, when you think of Luis Suarez and Coutinho moving on and getting the, the sums of money they got that was over 200 million for those yeah. two so uh, they've got they've got some money in but this Support from the owners has been fantastic as well. They're no, they're no shy. They're no averse to putting their hand in the pocket. Look at the development at Anfield. 
look at the new place that's been built down in Kirby for the training ground. Selling Melwood and moving to Kirby so everybody's uh, in the one area. I mean, they've never been shy of spending money. And that the support you get financially is important as well. With Michael Edwards and the backroom staff scouting the players and Jurgen deciding who comes in, I think it's worked really well for everybody. Well, uh, move on and look at where we are in the uh, in the league situation just now. Obviously, Liverpool, that eight wins from eight before uh, heading to Old Trafford after this international break. And whenever we do this show, we like to sort of reflect back on Kenny's time, either as a player or as a manager. And there is a story from the past that's kind of uh, made the headlines a little bit again this week. And the fact that Man United, when they were suffering from their own 18-year uh, title drought back in uh, 1985, uh, they'd just won the FA Cup uh, under Ron Atkinson and started the 85-86 season with 10 wins from 10 games. But then the wheels came off. Uh, Talag's manic skipper Brian Robson was injured, as, re- as was his replacement Remy Moses. Uh, Mark Hughes seemed to lose his form on the back of a secret deal for him to uh, go to Barcelona at the end of the season. And uh, having won 13 of their first 15 league games, uh, Man United won just nine and lost 10 of their final 27, uh, finishing a, finishing fourth and a massive 12 points behind uh, champions Liverpool, who in Kenny Dalglish's first season as uh, as player manager won that first uh, league and FA Cup double uh, in England for the first time in 15 years. So without wanting to dampen anyone's spirits and uh, put a negative spin on how uh, positive this eight wins from eight has been and the table topping excitement that comes with that, when we hear people say, Kenny, there are a lot of games to go, history tells us that they do have a point, don't they? Yeah, but you can't compare our team now to the Manchester United team in 1985. Each team's got its own idiosyncrasies, it's got its own its own assets and downfall. But for us, they've won the eight games because they've been maybe a wee bit fortunate for the goal at Sheffield United and we got a last-minute penalty against Leicester. But the quality of this team is, I think you've got, you've got to admit, it's far better than what Manchester United were in '85. And yeah, they, yeah, they can lose a game, but I can't see um, Liverpool losing too many points. I just can't see it. They're the the attitude, the commitment, the decisions that Jurgen gets, most of them right. All of them, obviously, nobody ever gets them all right, but he gets most of them right. And I, I just, I'm no, it's, you're no complacent, you're no arrogant. I just think it's a fact. I don't see them losing too many games. You'll no lose a, a, a run of games. You'll no go three or four games at Anfield without winning. And the points have got uh, eight points ahead of Man City. Man City are depending already for somebody else to beat us, for them to be able to catch us. Even if they beat us twice, they still need somebody else to beat us. And that's allowing for them winning other games. I just, honestly, it's really difficult for to see how it's going to happen. There'll be no complacency in any way, shape or form at Anfield. Um, they'll go and they'll go about their work as diligently and as enthusiastically as they've always done, on the pitch and off the pitch. So, for me, I think I think the start will be too great for anybody else to catch up. But that's not to say that you turn up and you win. You just continue to do what you've done and I don't see them taking their foot off the pedal in any way shape or form 
Now, on the back of what you've just said there, uh, we've got a couple of questions that relate to this from our Anfield Index subscribers and podcasters. And Harinder Singh wanted me to ask you, Kenny, whether you've noticed any discernible change in our play from last season to this. No, I think it's... Uh, I, don't, I don't see a change in uh, the style of play. I don't see a change in the attitude of how we play. I don't see a change in in any way, shape or form. They're just what they were last year. Uh, totally committed, enthusiastic, working as hard as they possibly can and making many chances, taking most of them. I don't see, I don't see many, any change. No, no many, I don't see any. Uh, what, the only thing you would say was they're probably better this year than they were last year. And that's that's worrying for people. If you're better than you were the year before, you only lost the title by one point. Then, and last year we lost because our head to head with Man City, they got more points than us. And also, if you go back to the game at Anfield, Mares misses a penalty when they're down to ten men in the last minute. So, I think we're better than we were last year. And I think Man City, I don't think Man City are as good this year as they were last year. Despite the 8-0 victory over Watford, I don't think they're as good this year as they were last year. I think they've got problems at the back. The, the injury list is is quite heavy defensively. Uh, and I think that's taking its toll on them. So, no, we don't need to worry about anybody else other than ourselves. And I'm, surely, I'm sure that's what, 100% concentration will be just get ourselves right and we can take it from there. Kenny, you know, if you think back to January time when, when Liverpool had that, I think it was six or seven points the lead in the in the Premier League table and I remember Anfield for a few games suddenly became quite jittery. It was almost like everyone couldn't quite believe we were in this situation and you know they wanted it so much that there was a few nerves around the place. You think about Leicester at home and it was like a little run of draws there where obviously the lead ended up disappearing and then City went on that amazing run to win the title. Do you think the experience of that uh, and the experience of the whole of last season will ensure that we don't see that again, both in terms of on the pitch and off it? Well, I think we've got more points now than what we had last year as well. At this yeah. time, we obviously must have. We've no dropped any. Yeah. So the number of Points is more important than anything else, and you get them on the you get them on the, the you get them on the door early, early on. Then you you're going to go away. That's up to other people to come. The, the, the other people have dropped points. City don't have the same number of points as they had last year at this time. They've dropped points. None of the other clubs. Maybe Leicester's better off than what they were this time last year. But Tottenham have faded away. Man, you have faded away. The Arsenal only the force they were, but they I think they'll get better. Uh, so we we're so far ahead of them, not just in points and where the game is, where we where our game is, what's, what we're reaching, what the heights we're reaching, the quality we're producing, it's much better than anybody else. And I, I just I, I I'm no I'm no trying to be overconfident or dismissive of anybody. But I just can't see us no one in the league. I just can't see it. I don't see 
there's I don't think the quality in the rest of the teams are as good as it was last year. And I think their quality's gone up. So if you get an even bounce of the ball, I think I think it's there for us. Yeah. If 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 you were looking at the squad, a lot of people would say you know, if, if there's one concern, it would be if 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 Liverpool lost one of the front three, you know, if you know, if, you know, if if one of them was out for a significant period, you know, is the drop off too great? Is is that is that a concern? Do you think you know the, the, the depth in that department <coughs> might, might catch Liverpool out? No, I think if you look at um, if you're going into the market to try and buy a player, and it's a, you're looking for a striker, who's going to come in? Who, would you sign for Liverpool if you're not going to get a game? So that's the front three are brilliant, but it makes it difficult to bring in a quality striker to sit on the bench. Yeah, and I think I think on the bench you've got Divock Origi. Last year Liverpool got more goals and assists from the substitutions they made than any other team, and you just need to think back to the Barcelona game, one 0 at half time. Divock scores. Yeah. Uh, Gini came Gini on. Gini scores. Some one of them get two. Yeah. Right? So that's an example of when he brings on a sub, how, how important they are and how great a con- contribution they're making to Liverpool. They don't come on with a wee petty lip. Yeah. They come on, they come on determined to make a contribution and they've done it. So I think it's, I think this, the squad, yeah, they might, you would have thought, but there might have been people, a few more people moved out at the end of last year. But no, they want to be there. And even although they're not playing as often as they'd like to play, they're enjoying being part of Liverpool Football Club, which is a great compliment to the to Jurgen and all his staff that they want to be there and to the football club. So I think, yeah, if you go if you got an injury to one of them, obviously your, your replacement's not going to be as good or he would be playing. But then they might change the way he plays if he if he's not got the three guys up front. You've got a couple of youngsters on the verge of coming through. You've got the the, the boys that played at MK Dons never did themselves any harm. Yeah. So, no, there's there's strength and depth there. But if you, you get a run of injuries, you're never ever going to have enough people to come in and support it. But there are people there that can come in and do a job. And I think, although. Oh, Maybe some people might get frustrated with the the playing the young lads in the Carabao Cup or or whatever. I think that's great for them because they get the taste and they get the feel and the experience of having played first team football. And it's in front of full houses, so um, that's helpful to the young boys. As long as they keep their head right, then there's no reason why you can't put one or two in uh, over the space of a season and get the reward for it. And, it helps him, it helps us. And there's some really good young players. So, to find a, a replacement, you're not going to get a like for like. But they might, the people who come in will have the same principles and have been taught the same way as what the first team have been taught. And that's a great thing as well. Everybody throughout the club has got the same principles and how they expect them to play and how hard they expect them to work. So, but I think, I think we can cope with, with injuries. There'll not be a problem. If you get a plague in them, then you're going to be in trouble. But then yeah. so is everybody. 
Yeah, I suppose. I suppose if you're if you're Manchester City, if you're looking at Liverpool's schedule and and trying to pinpoint where there might be a bit of hope for you, you're probably looking at the Club World Cup in December, aren't you? And you know that not a, not an ideal time of year to be to be doing all that travel and going over there. Do, have you got any concerns at all that 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 could dent the momentum? Listen, if I'm Manchester City or I'm anybody any other team in the league, I'm going to look at myself first. Yeah. I can't control what's happening somewhere else. So why why worry about it? Why get yourself involved? Just worry about yourself and get yourself right. And there's, I think there's too many people that busy looking at other places that they miss the opportunity themselves to be successful. Yeah. So you 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 don't see the club World Cup as being as getting in the way for Liverpool? No. No. So it's two games. It's two games, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah, may yeah, be yeah. Help, it may be helpful to Liverpool. The boys that haven't been playing will probably play in that. Yeah. So, it's a great opportunity to play them. I don't think the World Club Championship's prestigious anyway, is it? Well, yeah, no, I mean, you're only saying you... that because you never won it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, By the way, Liverpool have never won it, have they? No, it was more prestigious then than what it is now. Yeah. I don't, I just don't think it, I think if you look, it would be bottom of the table, it would be behind the FA Cup, obviously the league and the European Cup, uh, and also behind the Carabao. It's no, but, but how, many, how many fans are going to go and see it? They're watching the telly. Yeah. I mean, as you won in the other events, you can go to the finals. So it means more, I think it means most to the punters as well that you win domestically than winning the World Club Championship. And as we've seen, Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp have liked to do a bit of warm weather training in the winter as well, so maybe they'll double it up and try and do something around that as well. So I don't know if it can be as much of a negative as uh, as some of us uh, think it might be, so hopefully uh, hopefully some good can come from it uh, in, in that respect. But remember also, Ed, remember also we've got the, the a week off. Oh, of course, we've got this first, uh, January, first winter, winter break of, of sorts. Yeah. So you've got that as well this year, which might not be a great help. <clears throat> if, you're, if your fixtures are loading up, they maybe need to have a look at that and say, well, you can play your games then. You don't need to take a week off. True. That could uh, could be a blessing in disguise. <laughs> the... Uh... AI Pro subscriber Stephen Purdom from Panama, who's asked a question uh, in the past to Kenny, he's asked, uh, at some point, and hopefully way off yet, our unbeaten run will come to an end. As someone involved in similar winning streaks in the past, how was the atmosphere after a run came to an end? And do the games get harder the longer your unbeaten run goes? Can Can that become a burden in any way? And would your approach for the next game, what would be your approach for the next game preceding the end of a run? Well, why why would you change your approach to the games if it's taking you so far? I mean, they've won every game in the league so far. Why would you change your approach? Why would you change your your preparation, your attitude, your commitment? Yeah, everybody would realise that there's very few times. I mean, I think Arsenal did it. The Invincibles never lost a game. Well, that's fine. But I don't think if you lose a game, it's going to... It might even galvanise you. So for some people, it would take the monkey off your back. If you say, well, when are we going to lose? People keep expecting us to lose. 
And although you don't go out to lose, maybe losing the game would be would be beneficial. But I don't think it makes any difference um, that you've won what ten, twenty games in a row. Your next the next game you go and play is where you've had your reward for winning the games. You know what you did to win those games. You've got to go out with the same attitude, the same commitment, right on the pitch. If you don't, we've got a great chance of losing the game if we're not up for it. But also, um, losing the game isn't the end of the world because you've got eight points ahead at the moment. You'd expect that to stretch. So, going into the game after you've lost it and coming in the dressing room afterwards, it's a disappointment. But I don't think the disappointment is any greater than what it was if you, whenever you lose a game. I mean, if you come in and you're happy in the dressing room after losing a game, I think there's something wrong with you. You come in and you're disappointed and yeah, maybe during that run you've had a bit of good fortune and then maybe the game that you were to lose, you get the the, the luck comes against you. You can't be lucky all the time. But you can be well prepared, you can your attitude can be right for you to go and win the game. So as long as you're right in your head, you've done everything you can to go and win the game, I don't see what else you can do and if you get beat then you should be disappointed and you will be disappointed but it's not going to affect the rest of the season I don't see Liverpool going on a run the only time the only the only time you say Liverpool have been on a run of losing games is the Champions League section we've lost we lost four away games haven't we yeah that's the only thing you can look at and say, well, there you are. That's an example. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why that is. It's not because they've changed their, their attitude or their commitment or anything, the principles. It just happens. But I don't see it happening in the league. No, no, I, I, I agree. I just think also this group of players, when they have had setbacks, not that they've come around that often, but every time they've responded massively positively. You think to a lot of questions were asked after Kiev, weren't they? How would how would that group of players come back from that? Would that you know derail things? You know how, how would they get over that disappointment? Where they they channeled it in the in the best possible way, and then similarly having just missed out on the Premier League title last May, everyone said you know well, what kind of impact would that have on the Champions League final? It didn't at all, did it? It just made them even more hungry. To, to go and lift that trophy. They did it and they've, you know, it's been a magnificent start to this season. So, no, I mean, we all know that this run can't go on forever. Liverpool, there will be a time, probably not too far off when Liverpool don't win. But um, I've got no doubt that they'll dust themselves off and, and respond positively again. Well, an, <coughs> uh, an undefeated run isn't as important as the league championship, is it? Yeah. And one one will lead you to the other. If you're undefeated, you'll win the championship. No danger. Especially the way the stands at the moment. So the 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 end game is more important than any one individual game. The collectively, you get more points than anybody else. It doesn't matter if you've gone through undefeated. It only matters that you're top of the table and you get that wee trophy at the end of the season. And the players walk away with that wee badge that says winners. That's the most important thing. 
Now, our, uh, we always know on this show that one of the things that gets some of the most debate and uh, the most feedback that we get on the show is when Kenny and Paul sort of uh, start kicking off at each other when it comes to talking stats. And uh, Kenny loves a good stat, as everyone knows. And uh, our own sports scientist, Simon Brundish, has been sharing some insightful stats on uh, on social media this week. So I wanted to throw them down and see what, see what Kenny makes of these. Uh, so uh, cue yourself for a response here. So Liverpool have racked up 97 points last season and won the Champions League. They're currently eight wins from eight in the league with a Super Cup in the cabinet. This is the first Liverpool team to average 2.55 points per game over a season, and also the first Liverpool team to total 101 points from their past 38 games. To put that into context, in 1984, the side featuring a certain Kenny Dalglish won the league, but only took 1.9 points per game, though we did also win the European Cup and League Cup that season. So Kenny, with these numbers... Does this make Jurgen Klopp's current Liverpool side the best Liverpool side of all time? And they will be if they win the league. They will be if they win the league. It just, does the does the statue take into account the quality of the teams that they're playing against? That did come and up the in the debate are, afterwards. That's a very, very good point. I mean, they're out against the juggernaut, obviously, in Man City uh, in this era. Aye. And also... Does it take into account anything else other than actual points won? It doesn't matter what the stats are, right? If somebody says that's the greatest, it doesn't matter. You've only got to beat the people you're playing against and amass more points than anybody else to win the league. That's that's the stat that matters most to me. If you finish with more points, they can argue about the quality of the opposition. They can argue about whether it was a better team or a worse team. It's no problem. But you need to have something at the end of the, in May that says winners on it for it to be a successful season. And if, and we'll, I think we'll get that this year. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult, isn't it, comparing teams from <coughs> different eras. I mean, you know, you, you think back to some of the years when Liverpool had the title wrapped up you know, weeks weeks before the, you know the end of the season, and you know, and inevitably the the foot gets taken off the gas a little bit, and you don't end up with quite as many points as you as you would have done. So, yeah, I, I, this this can only be classed as the greatest Liverpool team ever if, if they go on and win. I, I think probably more than one title. I think you know the, the, the I've been watching Liverpool since the mid eighties, and you know, still the greatest team for me is 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 the one of the late the late eighties, probably. You know, the uh, you, know, you think around the eighty-seven, eighty-eight. You know that I, I still think this team have got to go on and win the title, and then probably win it again. I think to to surpass that. By the way, the stats are an indication of how good they are, right? And the stats are fantastic. But then, what's the qual? What's the what's the quality of the opposition? There's two teams run away with it last year, ninety-eight and ninety-seven points. I mean that's that's unbelievable for both clubs to get that many points. So what's the rest of them? They keep saying that the the Premier League's the most competitive league. Well, is it most com- more competitive because of the fact that the teams are good, or is it because they're bad? Is it the best quality league? I don't know. I think it's the best entertainment. I think it's the best commercially. But 
I don't know if it's uh, if it's the, the best league. I think I, I I think the Spanish would run you close, but they've tailed off as well now. And I would have thought that for Liverpool, they don't worry about they'll not worry about they've got 101 points over 38 games. They'll worry about they're sitting there first. If you win it with a point, what's the difference? If you've got 101 or 91, just win it. What's the, what's the, Eddie, what's the stats for? It doesn't get you any point. <laughs> no, it just tells you. It just tells you how good you are. And we know how good they are. And you're not trying to undermine them in any way, shape or form or disregard any of the success of it because they've been brilliant. And the, the numbers only... They stack up and they endorse what you're saying. But you still need that winner's thing. If somebody beats you with one point for the league or somebody beats you with ten, you still finish second. So it's, it's just about winning. And I would have thought Jürgen's the type that wants to win everything. So he, it wouldn't matter to him one or ten if you're second. Now looking back to that, last title win under yourself uh, in the hot seat as manager. There was a reminiscence piece on uh, on The Athletic this week by one of James's colleagues, uh, Charlie Eccleshare, uh, and it catches up with Ronnie Rosenthal. If you if you want to uh, go and read that and your Athletic subscriber, you'll find it in the Liverpool section as well. And uh, I think James tweeted it yesterday as well. So uh, do go and have a look at James's Twitter. It's at James Pierce LFC. And this is all about Ronnie Rosenthal, obviously. And uh, the sad news, obviously, that his home was burgled, his London home was burgled back in May. Ronnie's now working as a football consultant and scout, and uh, there's some excellent info on some of the stuff in his past there, and even Cristiano Ronaldo and the likes. Uh, so, so do go and have a listen to that. But he's fondly remembered by Liverpool fans as the man who propelled Kenny's 1990 team to that final title win uh, all those years ago. And he joined the club on loan from Standard Liège in Belgium late in the season after a short trial with Luton Town. He scored seven goals in eight games, but still didn't play enough games to be given a league winner's medal which I I found quite incredible Uh, and Ronnie said I have very fond memories of my time at Liverpool I was not with Kenny for long but he was someone who wanted to play beautiful football and yeah he was very 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 clever so Kenny what what are your recollections of that Ronnie Rosenthal transfer obviously coming in late in the season which was very rare uh, a time where you really needed him Uh, what were your expectations when he arrived and how, how did that transfer come about? I think it's a bit of mistaken identity there with Ronnie. <laughs> sure that was me he was speaking about. <laughs> Jesus. Does he want to see a couple of reports, school reports? See if you're very clever. <laughs> no, he we needed we needed an injection of goals to seize over the line and get towards the end of the getting towards the end of the season. And uh, somebody flagged up Ronnie's name, had a look on on tape, see how how he fared up, and he, he could score goals. And when he came in, he didn't half make a contribution. He was, I think, I don't think it's a miss to say that if if we never had his goals, we wouldn't have won the league. Um, we could beat the semi final with Chris, uh, Crystal Palace, uh, uh, Aston Villa, and then we went to play. Uh, Charlton Athletic at Selhurst Park in the midweek after the game. Rushy wasn't fit with a with a load of injuries. So he ended up starting and John Barnes was up front beside him. 
and he scored a hat trick, the one four nil. And it was an original hat trick, a header, a left footed one, and a right footed one. Um, and then I think he scored in a one nil victory. I, was, I don't know if it was. I'm not sure if it was Wimbledon or no. Uh, Anfield, we won one nil, and he scored a goal at uh, nothing. So Ronnie made a very valuable contribution to winning the league for us. That he saw us over the line, and he was a good lad. And then I think we signed him permanently in the summer. For uh, uh, and then it's a shame that he's more famously known for hitting the crossbar against Villa yeah. Park than he is for scoring the goals that got us over the line to win the league. But still, at least he's got he's not got a winner's medal, but he's got the memories and he's got the the, the knowledge that we know that he he made a contribution to us to win the league. Yeah, so brilliant memories from Kenny there. So do uh, do go and have a look at that piece on the athletic. It really is worth uh, worth worth your time to, uh, to 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 lull over some of the stuff that uh, Charlie Ekushe speaks to speaks to Ronnie about in that piece. Now we'll close off by talking about the plight of some of our rivals because that's been something that I know Liverpool fans have quite enjoyed. I mean, it was an incredible weekend. Not just Liverpool uh, getting that win over Leicester uh, in the circumstances they did, but then what we saw happen, obviously, to Man City, which we we spoke about earlier in the show, and uh, obviously Spurs had a bad day just before we played Man United had a dreadful weekend and uh, our friends over the road at Stanley Park aren't having the best of times as well so I'll kick this started with James if I can and uh, I'll ask you about Man City James they, they, they do seem to be blowing that bit hot and cold and uh, is there an impact on uh, not replacing company do you think uh, and obviously that's been exasperated by uh, Laporte suffering this injury I mean we talk about this vast resource that Man City have in, in terms of cash but yet they chose not to purchase Harry Maguire and uh, and replace company uh, last summer. Yeah, I, I, I do. I definitely think they've they've paid the price for mistakes they made in the summer window. Um, you know, although Vincent Company didn't play a huge amount of football in the last few seasons because of the injuries he's had, he's still a he was still a massive leader in that dressing room. And you when you think of, you know, obviously there was the the absolute rocket he, he scored against Leicester that that effectively won them the title last season. But it's it's more, I think, what they've lost off the field in terms of having someone with that kind of presence and aura around them. Um, and then you're right, yeah, Laporte. I think you, you kind of knew when Laporte got injured that that was going to be a huge miss for them because it's kind of it, it's kind of laid bare the the mistake they made in the summer not investing heavily in a in another frontline centre back. And I'm I'm just not convinced Guardiola even really believes himself in the in the other options that he's got there. And you know, that was. That was a truly horrendous result for them at home to Wolves because, you know, Wolves are no mugs. But let's not forget, Wolves had had a really grueling European trip to Istanbul. <sighs> City had had an extra two days to prepare um, to, you know, to get turned over at home like that, especially having having seen Liverpool score a last minute winner the day before. Um, you know, they, they, they have got issues. And, you know, of course, you know, they've still got you know, quality you know, in abundance in terms of, you know, you wouldn't put it past them going on a another long winning run. But um yeah, they as Kenny said earlier on, I just you know, I just don't think City this season are, are the same force that they were last term. I don't think they are either, obviously. Uh I'm repeating myself, but I don't think they've got the cutting edge. Yeah. They had last year. I know they get eight against Watford. Um but even the Wolverhampton game 
Wolves were in three times in the first half. Uh, misplaced passes, mostly from Man City, and were off, and they missed three good chances. They could have been up before half time, and then the second half they pressed forward and a couple of breakaways, and, and Traore finished them very well. But it's not only it's not only Laporte they're missing. John Stones has gone missing as well. I don't know where he is. He's not been playing, has he? Uh, no, no. I think I think he's had an issue as well. Although I'm not, I'm not convinced that Guardiola has got complete faith in him either. But it doesn't matter where he's got faith. It was an option for him. Yeah. Well, he's got so Fernandinho playing he's not, there, hasn't he? He's got for I and Otto Mendy. Yeah. So I don't. And Mendy, the left back they bought for Monaco, he's not been. He, he plays a bit. He plays two games and then he's out injured, doesn't he? He was. Yeah. He missed most of last year. He played a couple this year. He's out again. Um, I, I I just think that they're uh, I think they're struggling a wee bit and if, as I say they get a wee bit frustrated if I'm not getting the cutting edge in front of them um, and they get caught on the break the rules but I tell you Raheem Sterling's as good as a player that they've got there and they missed De Bruyne as well against Wolves yeah it was fantastic creating goals and I think that was a big miss That's, uh, he's probably a bigger miss than the centre-backs because of that much of the ball they could probably get away with it no having too much quality at centre-back until they play against a team that's that's uh, been able to withstand them and maybe catch them on the break with Traore's pace or uh, they get them up they get up against them they stand up to them and they go and put a bit of pressure on the centre-backs um, but I would have thought I would have thought De Bruyne uh, is a bigger miss in the centre-backs and with Spurs, James, uh, they, they do seem to have lost their way a little bit since that loss to us in that final out in Madrid. Uh, there's rumours that several players want to leave the club. Uh, obviously, Trippier was sold and didn't seem to be replaced. They, uh, they, Pochettino seems to have lost something of his uh, of his motivational swagger, which was something you were always able to associate him. Do you, do you think he can turn it around? I think it's going to be difficult <clears throat> for him. I think um, there was a great piece on The Athletic earlier on uh, this week, actually, on... Um, kind of a, a behind-the-scenes look at, at where it's all gone wrong. And, and I think you kind of sense it from Pochettino's post-match interviews in recent weeks that he doesn't, he doesn't seem to have that kind of same air of, of belief and uh, confidence about him that, that carried Tottenham so far last season. I mean, they surpassed all expectations getting to the Champions League final. Um, but, you know, there seems to be some suggestions that, you know, he is... He works the players incredibly hard. That the players are almost sick of, you know, the the, the constant monotony of of just how tough the the schedule is and not having enough time off. And players moaning privately that, you know, that, that, that they're psychologically and physically shattered. Um, and you know, he's had an absolutely torrid few weeks, hasn't he? And you know, add into the mix, you know, Lloris dislocating his elbow and. Um, you know, the embarrassment of conceding seven to Munich and then, you know, a relatively straightforward Premier League fixture where you'd expect them to to produce a response and they got humiliated again. Um so yeah, they've got they've got big problems. And you know, it's it it just kind of adds to the fact that, you know, people talk about the big six in the Premier League, but to to be honest, this season it's a big two because the the gap between the, the top two and the rest is just absolutely vast. 
I, I think it's uh, strange, isn't it? When when you have a bad run, there's all sorts of stories come out of dressing room about how disenchanted it is and how unhappy players are with this, that and the other. And they're probably doing exactly the same this year as they did last year. Yeah. Last year last year they had a great season to get the Champions League final. They had come back from nowhere against Ajax in the second leg in Amsterdam uh, to get there. So, I mean, what's changed? Something, Something's no retraining. That's only... If they did it last year and they got the success, surely you would say, well, that's, that's the proper way to go about it. Look how successful we've been. Rather than moan about it now because you're not winning games. There's something else going on. And whatever it is, the club is seems a bit disenchanted on the pitch at the moment. Um, the, last year, they seemed to be a bit more compact than they are this year. Uh, they seem wide open. The pitch seems awful big for the opposition to play in. And I don't think they've no heights this year as he did last year. And I think simply because maybe the attitude of the players. The Porticino, uh must take some responsibility for that, but they can't turn around and say, because the training's hard, um, that's why we're playing rugby this year. The, the training was hard last year and they did brilliantly. So there, there's something underlying there that I don't know what it is. I think Porticino's are... <coughs> A fantastic footballing man. Uh, he might have been disappointed with the defeat in the Champions League. Maybe if that's affected him or not, and it's carried on into this year, I, I don't know. But th- there's something deep lying there that's uh, that's causing the problems, and it's I don't think it's it's healthy to carry that on the on the pitch. Larice dislocating his his elbow. I don't think that's a loss for them really. I think the other goalkeepers as good as Lloris, so uh, they they did make a signing, a midfield player in the summer, didn't they? Uh, yeah, uh, the French boy. And uh, is that in Dombele? He, he looks half decent, but then you've got to stop other teams playing. You last year they earned the right to play by the work they put in and preventing other teams from playing. This year I don't see them stopping teams playing. I mean, Bayern Munich must have been very, very embarrassing for them to lose seven goals. I don't think they had much. I don't think they had many more shots at goal, did they? They only yeah. had about eight or nine shots at goal. Seven went in. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that you could write it off as saying it's just a one-off. But by the way, you'd like to have seen you'd like to have seen a bit more uh, disappointment from them on the pitch than what there was they just seemed to Bayern Munich just seemed to run over them yeah I think he's got, he's got issues hasn't he because Ericsson clearly wanted to leave in the summer I think he's had a bit of a strop of the he, he, he didn't get the move he wanted and then and I think even someone like Dele Alli you know what's happened to him you know one someone who was regarded as one of English football's biggest young talents a, a key member of that team and 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 you know he's he's gone kind of way off the boil. You know he's not even not even getting his game at the moment, is he? So yeah, the problems are stacking up for Pochettino. 
So, the gift that keeps on giving as far as Liverpool fans concerned, uh, Man United's form, whilst we're uh, winning eight from eight, they are really struggling. And uh, they seem to very much pin their colours to the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer flag, James. And uh, whilst we'll still expect a tough game at Old Trafford next week, uh, AI subscriber Dale asks, uh, looking at the stats, everyone's saying that Man United are in relegation form. So he wants to know if James thinks they're too good to go down. <laughs> um do you know what? I th- yeah, I think they are narrowly good enough, too, too, too good to go down. Um, but do you know what? They At the moment, they've got an air of a mid-table team around them. I don't even, you know, having, having watched a fair few of their games this season, I, I think they're genuinely going to struggle to finish in that top six. Um, you know, they are an absolute mess. And I know there's been, you know, the reports and stories have come out of Old Trafford this week adamant that they're still fully behind Solskjaer and that, you know, there's talk of them being committed to his three-year vision and, and backing him in the next few transfer windows. But I, I'm not sure I buy that, to be honest. I, I, personally, I'd be surprised if he was still in charge there at Christmas. Um, you know, I think the only thing that might buy him time is almost a realisation that there's so much wrong at United that I don't think anyone would necessarily believe that changing the manager would... Would, would would actually change all that much because you know, we talk about recruitment earlier on and you know it's an absolute mess the way they've gone about things and, and you know spent a huge amount of money in certain positions with Wambasaka and, and Maguire obviously but you know, now you've got a situation where you know he's bringing on you know unproven kids off the bench because you know striking wise I don't know how you let Lukaku go um, you know, and Sanchez, although obviously Sanchez wasn't, you know, particularly contributing much, but then not replace either of them was just absolutely baffling. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the, that defeat up at Newcastle to a team that, had, that has had big, big problems themselves just laid bare what a what an absolute mess United they're in at the moment. I, I thought that the the first game of the season at home be Chelsea. Um... It was nip and tuck early on in the game. And then United scored, ended up winning 4-0. But I don't think it was really a reflection on the game, the result. But I thought in that game, the front three looked really impressive. Martial, uh, um, James and... Uh, Ra- what's his name? The, the Manchester boy. Was it Rashford? Ra- Rashford, right? The three of them up front. And I thought that, I thought, Jesus, the second half they sat back, Chelsea attacked them, they caught them in the break, and the pace had, was unbelievable. It was frightening, the pace those three have got. But then, since then, they've, they've just gone backwards. And they, they have signed, they signed three players in the summer, didn't they? One, Bazaka, Maguire, and James. Yeah. But I think the right back position illustrates. They also, Mourinho signed the guy for, was it Porto? The right back, Dalot. Yeah. A young boy for 30 odd million. Then they go and spend, he's only, he's 19 or 20. Then they sign one, a new manager comes in. He does, obviously, doesn't think he's up to it. He signs Juan Bissaka for Crystal Palace for 50. So you spent 80 million on the right fullback position. That's the problem you get when you keep changing managers a different manager will have a different opinion to some players and he'll look to replace them irrespective of whether they were bought for a lot of money or not and I think they're either going they're going to have to 
either stick by him and give him the support, or they need to, they need to get shot. And the sooner the sooner they get shot, I think the less pain they'll feel financially. Because if all he was to stay there, and I'm not saying he should or he shouldn't, but if he was to stay, they're going to have to give him money to buy. If they're not sure about him, then they'll give him half the money because he'll keep another half for the next guy coming in. And you can't operate like that. And I think within the dressing room area as well, there must be problems. There was problems last year, uh, which were well aired. Getting rid of Lukaku, I thought was, I thought it was quite reasonable to get rid of him and get the money they could if they were going to replace him. And obviously they think that the front three that started against Chelsea was the way they wanted to play. And that was adequate replacement for him. Rashford playing up front or Martial playing up front and the other two down the side. I thought they looked I thought they looked half decent. They they have problems. Um and I don't know how they're going to solve it, but I hope they don't find an answer before Sunday. Um, <laughs> but they're still they're no I mean Manchester United because you're Manchester United Obviously, it doesn't mean to say you don't get relegated. They were relegated years ago when nobody ever thought they would go down. But as I said, they, they, they know the force that they hoped they would be or thought they would be this year. So they're, they're not going to go. They're not going to be relegated. There's, there's worse teams than them, I think. But it's a problem for them, and it's one that they need to solve quickly. I mean, you hear them talking about criticising the board because of the signings they made. But the board the board don't make the signings, I don't think, do they? Surely the board would only supply the money for the manager to decide who he wants to sign. Now, if that's not the case, they do have problems. But I don't think that is the case. I think the manager chooses the players and they sign them. I don't think it's complicated. I think it's pretty straightforward. Now, if the manager picks the wrong players and they're no successful then the manager's got a problem and one such team that is doing a bit worse than Man United is our neighbours at Everton now we've run out of time to discuss them today so we'll not get into that but if the if they are still hovering around that relegation zone uh, in the next episode of the King and I we promise to uh, <laughs> to dedicate a few minutes towards uh, what's gone wrong at Everton and who knows what may may change there so we're not going to discuss that and we'll, we'll draw a close to this episode of the King and AI and as ever please do give us your feedback the best way is on our free discord community it's open to all Liverpool fans you just have to go to anfieldindex.com forward slash discord which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. There's always discussion around this show on there, so uh, so do come along and join that. Uh, alternatively, do tag us on uh, to your feedback on Twitter. We are respectively at Kenneth Dalgleish, at James Pierce LFC, or to myself on uh, at Eddie Gibbs or at Anfield Index Pro. And like a bad penny, these international breaks keep coming thick and fast. And whilst it will mean two weeks without the Reds in uh, action, take solace from the fact that all being well, the King and AI will return for another episode in November. And uh, just in closing that important reminder once again if you enjoy listening to this show as much as we enjoy making it for you then all we ask is that one thing please head on over to anfieldindex.com forward slash mda where you can help by donating to the marina dalgleish appeal uh, all that remains for me to thank the fantastic mr james pierce for a fine debut performance on the show thanks for having me ed been a pleasure and uh, once again to the incredible sir kenny dalgleish thank you for your time today sir no problem edward I miss Paul, mind you. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> uh, there was nowhere near as much disagreement as there normally is on this show. Uh, James James oh, towed the line far too uh, diplomatically. Paul makes me sound half intelligent. <laughs> Sorry about that. Thanks for listening, everyone. And as ever, we'll uh, let the show play out in the capable hands of Mrs. Kelly Kate. So goodbye from us. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. There is one more thing that you could do, but it doesn't really require any effort. If you use Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.co.uk, there's an option to select a charity. If you select the Marina Dalgleish appeal, then every time you make a purchase at Amazon, they will make a donation to the charity. All you have to do is use smile.amazon.co.uk as your website to buy things from Amazon. It should, in theory, be quite straightforward. Thanks very much again. Podcast Network.